If your Bibles, I would invite you to turn with me. We're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 as we continue this Easter series, looking at a God who makes all things new. I don't know about you, but there's something encouraging about something being made new, especially in the world in which you and I live, as we recognize that everything seems to be deteriorating before us. So this is a very encouraging thought for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'd like to begin at verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. We're going to look at that last verse this morning. I have a question for you I'd like to start with. And here's the question. How do you know that you were born? Now, if I were to ask you that question, what would you, what would you say? Would you say, how can I prove to you that I was born? Well, just a minute, I'll go get my birth certificate. Or you probably wouldn't say, you know what, I know the doctor that delivered me. We'll call him up and he'll tell you that I was born. Or better yet, we'll talk to my mom. I think she was there. Okay? No, you wouldn't answer it that way. If I asked you, how do you know you were born? You'd say, I'm breathing. I'm hungry. I was tired last night. I'm, I have flesh in the body. I'm alive. I know I was born because I know I'm alive. So how do you know that you were born again? Well, I could say, well, 25 years ago I prayed a prayer. Or I could say, you know, I went forward at this meeting somewhere. Or I could go call up my church and see if I could get a copy of my baptismal certificate. But I think the correct way to answer that question is the same way. How do I know that I was born again? Well, I, I have this hunger for God. I, I like to be in His Word. I have, I have a desire internally to please God. I, I, I like to get together with his people. You know, you would basically say, things are just not the same. I, I know that I am, I know I was spiritually born because I feel alive spiritually. Well, this morning, there's this amazing truth in verse 17. It's true for anyone who's a Christian. And... Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a, a new creation. It is an amazing verse. It says, if anyone, if anyone is in Christ, that means anyone who's in Christ, everyone who's in Christ. This applies to every single Christian. You can't exempt yourself from this. If you are, you know, if you're in Christ, then you are a new creation. And, and the little word there, of course, is very important, is if anyone is in 
Christ. Anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So what does that mean? In Christ. I, I think it was Charles Spurgeon who first you know, said there are three states that we are in in terms of Christ. Number one, you're either in a state of being without Christ. And by the way, we were all there at one time. You know, every once in a while people will say, well, you know, I, I've always known Christ. Well, you haven't always known Christ. There was a time in your life when you are without Christ. And so it may have been when you were very young. You may not even remember when it was. But at some point you were without Christ. Let's call that our natural state. The state that we're born in. Then there's a state of grace which we're talking about here. And that is when we are in Christ. So the second state is a state of grace. And that's in Christ. And then Spurgeon identified the third state. And that's a state of glory when you're with Christ. And some of us, you know, most of us here, all of us here today are in Christ. Some of us have passed on to being with Christ. I was, I was visiting this week with uh, Sandy and I was thinking about Henry. Henry is with Christ. He's in this next state. The state that we anticipate. The state that Paul said we are all to look forward to. And so... As we are here, though, on this earth, we are in the state of being in Christ. The Old Testament analogy to that was Noah's Ark. As you know, God told Noah, you know, I'm going to judge the earth, and judgment is coming, and so you need to, by faith, you need to build this ark. And if you will get in that ark, and by faith, trust in that ark, build it and get in it, then you will be saved from the judgment that's coming upon the earth. The New Testament said that's the way to understand what it means to be in Christ. So if you're in Christ, you know, just like those in the ark were, you know, were saved from the condemnation and the judgment that came because of sin, so if you are in Christ, that means if you're depending upon and trusting in Him, that when judgment comes, you will be saved through Christ Himself. Powerful, powerful truth. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You know, we, we marvel at a beautiful sunset. Or where I live, in, in, I love in the winter when there's a full moon and there's snow. And it is, you go outside and it just, it's so amazing. And, you know, we look at that, we marvel at what God did. But do you know that what God did in you is even more amazing? That God created you as a new creation. Because you didn't do that. God did that in you. And when God spoke the sun into place, He spoke the Word, and it came into being. He spoke the stars into, into place. He spoke the moon into place. But when God made the new creation in you, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And God had to give His life on that cross in order to bring about the new creation in our lives. So this new creation is a... You know, if you were to ask God, what is the greatest thing you have created? It would probably be you. The new creation, what He is doing in you is probably the greatest thing God would say He ever did of all His creation. Powerful truth to get a hold of. When Christ comes into our life, we are this other person and we become this new creation. I, I was just listening to a, a testimony online today. 
of a man by the name of Stephen Baldwin. How many of you know who Stephen Baldwin is? Okay. You've probably maybe seen a movie he was in. I'd like you to hear his little new creation story. It's from a series called I Am Second. At the end, he'll say, I am second. And what that means is these are people who have come to understand that Christ is first. They are now in second place. Listen to his story. It's just a very encouraging example of a new creation. I'd say what was missing was the satisfaction. My life before Christ was uh, focused on making money. My life before Christ was uh, a totally day in and day out uh, existence that was uh, unbeknownst to me at the time, uh, uh, an existence of self-absorbance. Um, and, you know, just doing what you normally do when you're trying to maintain a career in the movie business. Loving Jesus is what's most important to me. And I, I know that sounds hokey, but it's the truth. My life is God's life in me for Him to do with what He wants. My wife and I were living in Tucson, Arizona about 16 years ago almost, and through the family we hired this cleaning woman. She's working with us for about two weeks, and. My wife kind of notices her singing that she does every day in her work. Eventually, after a few more days of this, went to Augusta and said, you know, I noticed your singing and um, I was just curious, you know, why is every song about Jesus? Uh, perhaps there's another tune in your repertoire, so to speak. Um, and Augusta had a very interesting reaction uh, to the question. She literally burst out laughing in my wife's face. I just had to do that, sir. And Augusta said, you know, again, um, understand that the reason that I'm laughing is uh, you think the only reason that I'm here is to clean your house. Uh, so my wife, she says, honey, um, I, I'd like to share with you something that Augusta just told me. And I said, what's that, dear? And she said, uh, well, she just explained to me that the real reason she's here is because in the future, you and I are going to become born-again Christians, and at some point after that, we're going to have our own ministry. And I said, really? Hmm. At that point in my career, I was making more money than I could ever wildly imagine, and just to, to hear uh, that idea vocalized at that point in time, was utterly ridiculous. Uh, but um, that's the beginning of the journey for me. When I got to a place of willingness to just simply say to myself, okay, I'm willing to believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. And I'm now going to ask God to show me what that means. And I'm going to read the Bible and apply it to my life to the best of my ability to have that understanding, that's when uh, this whole experience became very, very real for me. I'm Stephen Baldwin. I am second.
If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Let me tell you, his life is very different. Well, let's just take a, a quick walk through the text here, and then I'd like to just uh, mention three features of this new creation. Verse 13, Paul's talking. We're just going to walk through this briefly together. He says, if we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. People were saying, this guy is insane. He's nuts. Paul is nuts. You know, here's this guy. He doesn't get married. He doesn't take any salary. He's going around. He's getting beaten, stoned, thrown in jail, creating riots wherever he goes, you know, for this message. And they were saying he's crazy. And so Paul comes back, and Paul says, you know, I... I you're thinking I'm, I'm compelled by my insanity. He said, let me tell you what compels me. Verse 14. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who loved, who died for them, and who was raised again. So Paul says, you know what? It's the love of of Christ that compels me. See, Paul understood justice. We do, our culture does not understand justice. It's reflected in this kind of a statement. Well, I can't see why when people, you know, why, why, why does God have to hold people accountable? I mean, why can't God just forgive people? You know, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to make some mistakes. But in the end, you know, God will forgive me. I mean, if, if God's a good God, he'll forgive me, won't he? And it just reflects a lack of understanding of justice. Because... I mean, we know what justice is about. If someone wrongs you and you end up in court, you want justice. You respect justice. You respect the judge who, who judges justly. He doesn't turn his eye and, and put things under the table. You would disrespect a judge like that. And so Paul understood. He knew justice. He understood that God was a God of justice. And so he understood that someone had to die and that Christ died for him. That's what, that's what gripped Paul that Paul knew he should have been on that cross, but that Christ had died for him. And so we see here that he is compelled. Paul says, I'm just, I do what I do out of this compulsion, you know, of what Christ did for me. Verse 16. So, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. So, as a result, we look at people differently. We look at Christ differently. And Paul talks about how he looked at Christ. You know, here's a guy who was crucified because he was a loser. In the eyes of Paul, and in the eyes of the Jews, he was a complete loser. He was a man. He had no job. He had no degrees. He had no house. He had no bank account. He had no reputation. What good thing can come out of Nazareth? I mean, he was a people, people he hung around with were trash. They were lowlife. They were fishermen. They were people with problems. And so Paul says, this is how we looked at Christ. This guy's he's a nobody. Because he didn't understand who Christ was. And then he met him on the road. And after that, we see everything, everything dramatically changed. So Paul said, now, I look at Christ and I look at people different. People that you might think is a loser may become a very great person. 
talk about that in just a little bit. Verse 17. Therefore, you know, it doesn't matter what people look like. If they are in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Let's just take a final look here at that verse 17. Three things that are characteristic of you as a new creation. Number one, you have a new compelling aspiration in your life. So who do you live for? That's a very important question. Who do you live for? Well, if you're living out of this new creation, it's not for yourself. And by the way, it's not for others. You don't live for others. If you're a new creation, you live for Christ. Because there are many times when others are not going to uh, deserve the kind of treatment that God wants you to give them. We see here in verses 14 and 15, especially in verse 15, he says he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but notice what it says, but live for him. So we now live for Christ. You know, people say, why, why did you do that? Why are you, why are you doing that? You know, I, I do it for Christ. You know, and I do things for people because I, I do them out of my love for Christ. This is so contrary to our culture. In our culture, it's all about yourself. In our culture, selfishness is expected. In fact, if you're not, people get suspicious. And so we see here, this is a, you know, in this new creation, we start living for Him and, and, and not ourselves. We don't, live, we don't love people for what they give us. We love people because of what Christ gave us, and now we're, we're living for Him. You know, in a marriage, you don't, you don't live for that other person. You, live, you, you submit in love to them out of reverence for Christ. And so this is a very very, very key thing. You know, why do we love our enemies? We do so out of our love for Him. Christ's love compels us. And that's why Paul prays. You know, Ephesians, I pray that, that the eyes of your heart may be open. So you know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. As a new creation, we have a whole new aspiration. Here's the second thing. This is from verse 16. We have a new definition of success. We have a new definition of success. So we, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. The measurements of success. If you were to say to somebody, you know what? He's really or she's really successful. If you were to say that about something, typically what we're saying is they have a good job. They're probably making pretty good money. They've done well. Uh, they are someone who has a certain level of popularity. Most people would say Bill Gates or Donald Trump. Trump are successful people. But with the new creation comes a whole new definition. Entirely different definition of success. And so Paul writes in Philippians, you know, and he's talking about his own his own change here in in the understanding of this. Just listen to these words from chapter 3. 
If anyone thinks he has reasons to put more confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised in the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, uh, in, in regard to the law of Pharisee, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless, but whatever it was to my prophet, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And he goes on and he talks there about the things now that, that determine success in a person's life. And you know what it is? It's knowing Christ. If you know Christ, you are successful. If you can stand before God forgiven, you are successful. If you know that you have power over death, you are successful. If you share in the same sufferings as Christ, you are successful. If you are becoming more like Christ, you are successful. Do you see what a radical change in definition of success? The Bible tells us how to be great, how to be successful. It says, let him, boast, let him who boasts boast of this, that he knows and understands me. That's what it means to be successful. Jesus said, you want to be great? Then become a servant. If you're a servant, you're successful. Paul said, you want to shine like stars in the night? You want to be a star? Then bring many to righteousness. There is a new definition of success. And then we see, thirdly, there is a, there is a new identity. There is a new identity. We are now new creations in Christ. And this is so powerful. Um, this is so profound. And, and here's what I want us to hear really clear, or, or uh, hear very clearly this morning. In God's eyes, the old is gone and the new has come. You are a new creation. And my question for us is when are we going to start believing that? Because many of you here do not believe that. You don't view yourself that way. You don't see yourself that way. But God sees you that way. Do you know if you died right now as a believer, you would be fully prepared, fully ready to walk right into the presence of God. Because you are a new creation in Christ. Once you put off the flesh, is what we get all focused on, once you put off the flesh, you know, and we... We are prepared. God has made us new creatures in Christ and He sees that new creation in us. We need to join Him in how we see ourselves. You say, well, why do I, you know, if the old is gone and the new has come, then why do I struggle? I mean, why is this such a challenge to live like the new creation? Why do I live like the old and not like the new? Well, God evidently has chosen this to be a process. If, if you're above that process, let me know after the service. But people I meet find this is a process. It's not something instantaneous. And perhaps it's in this struggle over our sinful flesh that we continue to understand God's grace and power and forgiveness in our lives. But it is a struggle. I'm going to conclude here with, with a letter. And uh, <clears throat> this is written to a, from an individual to a church 
church at Brook Hills, which is a church down in the southern part of the state. And I conclude with this this morning. Dear Mr. Platt and the church at Brook Hills, I assume based on what others have said about you and the faith family at Brook Hills that you are accustomed to receiving complimentary letters. I hope you'll indulge me as I write to you from a different perspective. My letter could be considered more of a complaint or a warning. It is intended to enlighten you as to how your radical actions and teachings related to the Word have been destroying my life and probably the lives of others like me. Let me explain. I was raised unchurched by loving parents who were perfectly content with their lives. The worldly perspective I grew up with allowed me to see the hypocrisy in the lives of the few church-going families to which I was exposed. Thus, as I grew into a worldly man, I found myself on the path to the American dream. This path, as far as I could see, did not go through or even near a church. I went to college, then grad school, married a kind and beautiful woman, got a decent, respectable job, which allowed me to ultimately buy a house and at least make payments on a mortgage and make maximum contributions to a 401k. My wife and I eventually had a family with two beautiful daughters, a couple of dogs, and I was living the middle-class version of the American dream. I was a kind, decent family man who was grounded in the realities of the world. I also worked to provide the necessities of life, such as a flat-screen TV. I loved my family and loved spending time with them, but I was constantly distracted by the financial realities and needs of our lives. I looked at my balance statements for a sense of security. Then one day, my wife, who I thought I loved, told me that she would like to raise our daughters in a church, requested we start visiting local churches. Up to this point in my life, I'd done a good job of avoiding churches and the hypocritical Christians who attended them. I had always felt uncomfortable around faith-professing Christians because I lacked biblical knowledge and assumed they would look down on me. Now, in order to make my wife happy, I was going to have to attend a church and interact with those people on their turf. I reluctantly agreed and added church to my list of dreaded weekend chores. Initially, our trial run at visiting churches proved relatively painless. The people were nice. But the watered-down version of the word they were serving had little impact and left me with no desire for more. My wife was also unimpressed, suggested we try Brook Hills because she'd heard good things. As usual, my wife convinced me we attended your church for the first time last fall. That day was the start of a process which you and your faith family have been progressively destroying my life in this world. The word you served up that day was strong and pure, Now, like the watered-down versions I'd received in the past, it had an immediate impact on me. And like the most addictive drugs left me wanting for more. We started to attend fairly regularly on Sundays, but soon that was not enough to satisfy my growing need for this word. I started buying CDs of previous sermons so I could get my fix on the way to and from work. I started to interact more with the members of this faith family who were not only consuming the word, but also appeared to be living it as well. This only fueled my desire for more, and soon we were attending small group on Sundays, in addition to Sunday, and were occasionally attending the Wednesday night Bible study. I cannot believe what the Word and this growing faith have done to my life over the past year. I used to avoid church altogether, and now we attend the worship services on Sunday, joined a small group, which meets for three to five hours each week in the neighbor's house. I attend a class on how to study the Bible, 
I used to avoid Christians who profess their faith, and now I'm becoming one. I find myself seeking opportunities to share the word and discuss my faith with others. I stopped saving for my flat screen TV, which is just as well since I don't have time for TV much anymore. What is wrong with me? What have you done to me? The worldly man I was a year ago would not recognize the man I'm becoming. I was a man believing in the realities of the world, the American dream. Now I believe in and pray to and seek after a relationship with a God that I cannot even see. I found salvation in Christ. I now look for security in my faith. All of this would have sounded foolishness to me a year ago. However, the man I was a year ago and the worldly life I knew are being destroyed. I wanted you and the faith family at Brook to be aware of the role you are playing in destroying my worldly life. I also feel I need to warn you that if you persist in teaching and living out the word as you are currently doing, you will likely have a similar impact on the worldly lives of others like me. I hope you realize that you may live with the knowledge of your actions and their effect on the lives of others for all eternity. Amen. And I will be there in eternity to remind you of what you have done. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this radical power of a new creation. And Lord, as we end this service, I, I want to just pause. Lord, for anyone here who has yet to experience this new creation work in their life through faith in the work of Christ. Father, in just the quietness of this ending of this service, might they just simply respond and invite you to come and through your power bring about this new creation that we read about today. And Father, for those of us who have believed and who are living with our eyes on our failures and our mistakes and on the things that we don't do and all of that, Father, might we hear your word to us today that we are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. That's how you look at us. That, Father, you are a God that understands that this is a process. But, Father, help us not to fail to see that there is something new in us that is pure and good and holy that you have put there and that you have created. And your word tells us that he who began the good work will be faithful to complete it. <clears throat> Father, it is to this end that we pray today. Father, we pray now as we just quietly receive this offering together. Uh, Lord, we pray for uh, just your blessing upon our lives in Jesus' name. Amen.